Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he loves Commander Legends. That's Matt Morgan. I, I need to tell you, I accidentally swallowed some Scrabble tiles and I'm afraid my next trip to the bathroom may spell disaster. That's a great image. That's a wonderful mental picture that you painted there, Matt. Thank I, you I just for that. I don't get irritable vowel syndrome. <laughs> we are moving on. Oh, wow. Anyway, up next, he loves Commander Leggins. That's Dana Roach. Um, so in looking at the calendar, I can see the longest night of the year is fast approaching, which means I need to do a challenge of stats on both Blanket of Night and Darkest Hour. So mental note and hit both of those up. I like that. Yeah. And I also do miss the sun. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Matt, can you tell us what it is that we'll be talking about this week? Today, we're going to take an early look into the information coming in about Commander Legends. What are people playing so far? What are people excited for? We're going to find out. That we are. It's kind of an interesting time. We are getting some early data about Commander Legends, and we want to see what that might project about the popularity of the cards from that set and the partners from that set and the commanders from that set. So we'll take a look at what we've got going on and see, maybe make some predictions about how it may continue to evolve from there. But of course, before we do, we want to give a huge thank you to the folks who do all of the post-production work on our podcast. That is Josh Lequai and the entire team at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all of our post-production work here. It's really great stuff. So thank you guys so much. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for this show as well. The EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Uh, Card Kingdom was my personal go-to site for selling cards I no longer want, and then I can use that store credit to pick up all these cool goodies from Commander Legends. Um, TCG Player also has a fantastically deep inventory of anything you would possibly want, any version in any kind of condition. So just go to EDH Rec and click on the uh, appropriate card you want, and down below there's a couple of links. Go to the site you prefer and buy your card. Doing so supports both the website and the podcast. Or if you would prefer to partner with us directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. We have tiers of several different levels, depending on what you're interested in. Say you want to look at all the challenges stats that we've done over the course of the show. If at a certain level, you can have access to that spreadsheet listing all of those past challenges. Or if you just want to join the Discord and hang out in the community we have going on, it is an awesome community. We love everybody in there. You can do that as well at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. And if you just prefer, you know, don't have any money to support us, we understand it's a year. Um, you can it's just like and subscribe. It has been a year. It has been a year. Like and subscribe to the videos. We definitely appreciate all those subscriptions, all those likes. It definitely helps us as well and costs you nothing. So hit the like button and we appreciate that kind of support as well. Yeah, for sure. And then another thing that we like to do as part of our Patreon as well is to shout out one of our patrons as a thank you for supporting us. So this one goes out to Dan Marino. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And also when I put your name into the show notes, these guys had a very excited reaction about it. Dan Marino, he's he's one of the best quarterbacks ever. He Number played third all from Miami. He has a steakhouse, I, I think. I don't, I don't understand it, but Dan Marino, thank you for supporting us. And they're, Matt and Dan are very excited about this. <laughs> Dan Marino, thanks for doing a sports ball. We appreciate it. <laughs> 
All right, let's get on to our main topic now. We are talking about the data in Commander Legends so far. Let's start off, I think, with the most popular commanders from the set. And we'll just talk about the solo commanders, not about the partners. We'll get to them in a different section. For now, how about we talk about the top five most popular commanders from Commander Legends so far and see what they've got going on. What is ruling Commander Legends in the uh, the deck boxes of players so far? What's being built most? Dana, take it away. Who do we got at number five? Yeah, number five, we have Jared Carthalian, True Air, in the Naya Colors. He's a 3-3 warrior, and when Jared Carthalian, True Air, enters the battlefield, target opponent becomes the Monarch, and you can't become the Monarch this turn. And if damage will be dealt to Jared Carthalian while you are the Monarch, prevent that damage and put that many plus one counters on it. Um, so this is um, number five, as I mentioned, 117 decks so far, and that's overall showing up as number 562 among commanders. But for a card that's only been out, you know, at least in the public consciousness for a few weeks and in actual cardboard for like a you know week and a half or so, that's actually not bad so far. Um, a lot of the Monarch cards we discussed back in episode 138 appear here, um, particularly because Jerry can then take the Monarch for himself without having to rely on combat to get there. So the courts show up, um, Archon of Coronation, Dawn Glade Regent, the whole basically collection of, of cards that you can run in those colors that have the Monarch there in the deck. There are a lot of them. You've got a lot of ways to get the crown in a Jared deck, which he definitely needs because you don't really just want to rely upon him having to swing in to take the monarchy away from the person he gave it to. You also have a lot of cards here that, that deal damage when you have the monarch that you can then make your commander pretty swole. Blasphemous Act is in 90% of decks. Now, that's a fantastic card anyway, so that one really isn't surprising, but things like Star of Extinction are showing up in 74%. Um, Pariah is in 68%. That's a card that damage dealt to you is dealt to that, that commander instead. Pariah's Shield similarly does a similar thing. Um, Gideon's Sacrifice and Brash Taunter, relatively new card in 64% of these decks. See, I'm loving so much of what's going on here. You mentioned Star of Extinction, which does a needless 20 damage to all of the things. But if you've got a Brash Taunter in play or the Jared has the monarchy thing, you're just going to take all that damage and just soak it right up and do amazing stuff with it. And then redirecting any potential like enemies who are going to steal your, your stuff with the Pariah back to Jared so it gets even bigger if people try to attack you. I am loving what this deck is shaping up into so far. Yeah, th th this deck, I was a little skeptical about how people were going to build it. Uh, people have not let me down. This deck looks hilarious. Um, I'm not looking forward to playing it because with all the, <laughs> all, with all the board wipes, it, it probably isn't going to do well if you're trying to win through combat, but it, the deck looks interesting, and I'm glad people are, are, are obviously having quite a bit of fun with this. Pariah is just such a gnarly card in general. I just mm -hmm. I love seeing that. Yeah, because it synergizes so nicely with it's not just the Brash Taunter, which if it's dealt damage, redirects damage to other people. You've mm -hmm. also got the Boros Reckoner and the Stuffy Doll in there, too, are also pretty uh, showing up in a pretty high clip. So there's a whole bunch of ways to make some indestructible stuff that if it gets dealt damage by your opponents attacking you or by you casting your own spells, you'll be able to do a lot of damage without even needing to get into combat yourself to get the Monarch. So it isn't just a monarchy card. It's really kind of a brash taunter type of deck, too. And I'm really excited about that. And since, Matt, it seems like you're afraid of it, maybe I'll build my first Naya deck here to make you even more afraid. Well, it, this whole deck, we, when we're talking about all the, the typical cards folks are playing, it, it gives me kind of a, a recollection back to when we played Sheldon Mannery and he did the you did this to yourself deck. Yep, thousand percent. That's what people are doing. And Sheldon probably will build a Jared deck. I mean, just knowing him does a lot of commandery things. 
very, very much. All right, let's move on to number four. Matt, who do we got in that slot? So this one we have Gen, Jen, Jen. Not sure, um, but again, Arcanum Weaver. It is the Mardu commander uh, for a red, a white, and a black for a 2-3 human legendary human wizard. You can pay Mardu colors and tap again uh, and sacrifice an enchantment to return an enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Now, a certain other podcast I know did get to preview <laughs> this this card. Am I, am I correct here, Dana? Um, if I remember right, that was in, in 2020 time. That was like eight months ago. But yeah, I think that was one of the ones <laughs> I, I got to preview on Commander Central. Awesome. Yes. Well, this card is actually getting played in 120 decks, 121 decks so far. So it's number four in the ranking so far. So obviously people are also excited about it. Uh, there's a lot of Enchantress type payoff cards. There's Mace Enchantress, the Sphere of Safety, leaning heavy into the enchantment synergies. But there's also a couple fun ones. Uh, Starfield and Nyx is showing up in 62% of decks so far, which is kind of a fun little card. Uh, Doomwake Giant, if you're playing black and enchantress type of cards, um, you're going to have quite a few payoffs from Doomwake Giant. Uh, and Captive Audience, what a haymaker if you ever cast it and resolve it. Um, that's also making its way in 62% of decks. I am also really enjoying the stuff that we see here. I mean, you know most of the enchantment payoffs, but stuff like Starfield of Nyx, which animates all of your enchantments, can mm-hmm. be sometimes a liability in an enchantment deck because then that makes them easier to kill. But Gen's ability allows you to circumvent that and get rid of this whenever you need it. And then also trigger stuff like you mentioned the Doomwake Giant more times than usual because you can get more enchantment triggers by having him swap them in play and in their graveyard. And yeah, that captive audience, I'm not happy to see here, especially because Gen can swap it out to put it on a different place player if he so chooses and i don't want to be that player ever please <laughs> it's such a hilarious card too <laughs> it, it's such an interesting commander too because you're obviously going to be doing enchantment stuff but the specific enchantment stuff you're going to be doing isn't necessarily dictated by the card there's a lot of different directions you can take the deck and i think mm-hmm. that's part of the reason it's relatively popular so far is because you know, you can see the basic outlines for your build, but you're not locked into a linear path. You have plenty of room to explore and build something kind of unique to you. It is interesting that, you know, there, there's not a lot of red cards being played so far. There, People are playing it a lot of black and white type of cards. Not too many cards. There's not like Sunbird's Invocation isn't really showing up too heavily. Fiery Emancipation, Dana, I'm sorry. They just don't <laughs> love your favorite card. Um, so it's, it is interesting that there aren't a whole lot of red cards being played in the typical deck. That really surprised me as well. That's what I wanted to bring up too. When I actually, I went through and ran the average deck list for Gen based off of the data that we have so far. And I could only find nine total red cards in the deck. And most of them were stuff like Faithless Looting, which helps fill up your graveyard. So Gen can have targets to swap things in and out of play if he wants. Aside from that, though, it was multicolor stuff like Ruinous Ultimatum, which is, of course, a card that you're going to play in a Mardu deck because it's a Mardu version of Cyclonic Rift, destroying all of your opponent's non-land permanents, which is really awesome. I suspect that if we were to do our, um, we talked about the most color imbalanced commanders. Uh, we did a data run for episode 134 to see the commanders that didn't have a lot of representation in one specific color um, that was like outweighed by a whole bunch of others. I think that Gen would actually be a really strong contender if we were to run that again, because there are just so few red cards populating his list that help out with this enchantment strategy. It's cool for him to be in these colors for sure. I really like it. It's cool to see what people are doing with it, but I am very surprised to see just how lopsided it can be against red in this deck too. Well, up next at number three, we have Yurlock of Scorch Thrash. Uh, this would be our Jund three-colored commander who's a Viashino Shaman, um, has Vigilance, and 
a player losing unspent mana causes that player to lose that much life. And you can also spend one and tap your lock and add Jun to your mana pool. So a black, a red, and a green. Um, mana burn. Mana burn's back, baby. <laughs> mana burn is back. I'm really happy to see that this one is getting as much popularity as it is sitting here at the number three most popular card, uh, most popular commander from Commander Legends, because what a fun ability to bring back. This is activating a lot of nostalgia for me, even though I know that you guys contend that I'm not old enough to remember <laughs> mana burn. I do, in fact, remember mana burn, and I'm happy to see that they've made a design around it. It's absolutely hysterical. There's a lot of really fun stuff going on for your locks page, too. You've got those overabundance effects, those heartbreak of uh, spring those mana flare effects that double all of the mana that people would make so you can kind of catch them out by giving them extra resources that will harm them if they don't spend them wisely you've also got some fun stuff like the new horizon stone which is basically like the crucifix enchantment so that prevents you from losing unspent mana so your luck can just hold on to his own without ever potentially lo losing any life himself uh, that's really fun However, when you keep going down further, there's actually some fun kind of quote unquote combo stuff that he's doing, too. Uh, you see some umbral mantle in there, for example, which he can attach to himself as an equipment and then pay three mana to untap. Um, and that makes me scared. It doesn't quite go infinite because he has to pay a mana to use his ability to give everyone three mana. But even then, umbral mantle, you can pay the three mana to untap him and then have him do it again. You'd have to pay one each time, but that can still give a lot of your opponents a lot of mana. Um, and that sounds very painful painful so that does have me a little bit scared of the scorch thrash man see i'm i'm a big fan of cards like citadel of pain that card is hilarious a favorite of mine in my valduck deck it's it's so cool to see some of these and just it's weird that mana burn has to be like spelled out on a card um, just because <laughs> i played back when mana burn was a thing so it's 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 interesting but like it's a very funny deck um not to say it can't be absolutely brutal though um mm. but the the popularity already doesn't surprise me because I, I i remember seeing a bunch of people on on social media were very excited for this type of ability it, well, and you mentioned the Citadel of Pain there, Matt. That's one that if your opponents tap their lands on a turn, sorry, if any player taps lands on a turn that isn't theirs, they would like take a bunch of damage is, or no, they lose their lands, right? Yes. If yeah. So you're thinking of a different card. Citadel of Pain is where uh, at the end of each player's turn, it deals X damage to that player where X is the untapped lands uh, that they control. So basically, if they pass the turn with Ooh. four mana up because they don't want to take the mana burn, they're going to take the mana burn anyways, just in a different type of way. That's what I, I was thinking of the wrong one. Oh, that's even worse than I thought. Oh, that's brilliant synergy with this guy. Oh, I'm afraid. It's so good. Well, it's also one of those things, though, like the synergies are really effective. Umbral Mantle obviously is going to do a lot of damage. But like if someone's looking to build a really degenerate deck, there's a lot of commanders that you can do that much more easily than you can with your lock. <laughs> so it's one of those things I feel like if somebody is going to do that degenerate thing, they probably had to earn it. You know, this commander isn't nearly as easy to do a broken thing with as some other commanders. So um, it doesn't worry me too much. I think it's a, it's a neat synergy. And if somebody pulls that off, they probably had to fight to get there. Yeah, if, if yeah. you're playing Price of Glory, which is the card you're thinking of, Joey, where uh -huh. whenever a player taps a land for mana uh, and it's not their turn, you destroy that land. If you're playing that type of card already, um, chances are your your playgroup is already well adjusted to that. So yeah. 
seeing a Yurlock isn't really going to throw your playgroup off. Whereas if you play this maybe at like a command fest when they start happening in person again, then you might get into some shaky ground if you're playing with people who aren't quite on the same page. Potentially. But I also do appreciate those types of abilities. Like usually they're very, very punishing uh, to other players because it can disrupt their ability to interact or something like that. And that can be sometimes really dicey, especially like it's very anti-control. The control deck doesn't get to do the responding on other players' turns thing the way that they want to. But at the same time, that is definitely the type of thing that this commander really wants. Another card that shows up here very popularly for him, for example, is Dose in the Falling Leaf, which says that players can cast spells only during their own turn. That's great for your lock's ability because he gives other people mana. You don't want them to be able to cast a beast within or whatever with the mana that you just gave them because that would come, first of all, they'd probably point it at you. And second of all, they wouldn't take any damage for the stuff that you just gave them. So having ways of restricting them in those clever and often usually very, very painful ways as well, that's actually just leaning even more into a strategy in a very organic way. So I can totally approve of it. Even if it is very painful, I approve your lock. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad you approve, but let's, let's move on from what could be a little traumatic of a play style for some people. Yes, let's do that. And let's talk about another commander that won't be traumatic at all, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, we're going to move now to the number two most popular solo commander here. That's Around Me of the Dead Tide. This is the uncommon Demir commander. It is three total mana for a merfolk wizard, a 1-4 that says you can tap and exile cards from your graveyard equal to the number of opponents that you have. So that could be three or it could be two or it could be one. Um, and target creature card in your graveyard gains the Encore mechanic until end of turn and the Encore cost is equal to its mana cost. And Encore, as a reminder, exiles that creature card from your graveyard and then basically gives it the Myriad ability where you make a token copy of it that attacks each of your opponents that turn and they are sacrificed at the end of that turn as well. You can only do this at sorcery speed though. Aralmi really, really intrigued me. If I didn't already have a Marin of Clan Naltoth deck, I would be very tempted to build this commander because it can do some absolute damage. There are 208 decks to its name so far already. And a lot of the stuff that we're seeing on its page is the exact stuff that I love to revive over and over from the graveyard. You've got your Plague Crafter, which makes everyone sacrifice a bunch of creatures if you're reviving a bunch of token copies of it. Oh my god, that's great. You got your Massacre Worms, which is making all of your enemies' boards go away and they lose a bunch of life. You got your Grey Merchants, which is holy crap, so much devotion to black that it makes me so giddy I can't continue this sentence. I'm really enjoying this commander so much. Guys, the graveyards are the best and I like that this is number two. Well, don't forget, Joey, there, there's two colors in this deck too you can also play stuff like agent of treachery you know there, ah! there's blue stuff to be to be casting too it's so gross well you know i i mentioned that your lock of scorch thrash is the kind of card where if you want to do something to generate you kind of have to work at it that's not really the case <laughs> here it's just all degenerate stuff like it's super super easy to loop a bunch of really really powerful cards and essentially get you know multiple etb triggers off them and people will die very, very quickly when you're dropping that gray merchant, you know, with six or eight black pips in play three times. Uh, well, so it does turn. exile. It does exile the card, Dana. Sure. So sure. you can't do it multiple times. But I will also say that if you get around me out with a gray merchant, and that's the thing that you get back, even one time is probably uh, enough. Right. I mean, you're getting the copies of of that for for each person, so you're getting the multiple ETBs. Um, yeah, you're, you're just going to kill people. 
Like it's it's there's a bunch of things that do that, whether it's clearing their entire board state with Massacre Worm, or like Ooh. every creature in this deck is going to be disgusting when it comes out times three. Yeah. And that's before we even get into things like Panharmonicon, which are going to, you know, start doubling the double or triple triggers. Uh, <laughs> this one is going to do degenerate things and almost exclusively degenerate things. So uh, really, it really is, strong. It is hard to imagine people doing this terribly fair just because of the yes. sheer <laughs> amount of value that you're going to be getting per like if you're I didn't even think of something like Massacre Worm, Dana, and that's one of the ugliest things to put on my imagination. <laughs> I'm I'm really enjoying it specifically like I think that there's two things that lend popularity to this one one is obviously it's power level but also this one's an uncommon like yeah this ability this is this is one of the uncommon commanders I in some cases I look at some of the uncommon commanders that they made in the set and I'm just like are you guys more powerful than most of the rares because it feels sometimes like you're more powerful than a lot of the rares around uh, me is very, very impressive and also very accessible. And you don't even need the big mythics. Like there are some plenty just of common creatures that you can get back with this ability. And sometimes all it will take is like one or two revivals for you to really wreck your opponent's ability to even try and win that game anymore. I mean, even just even just reanimating a grave titan or right. any of your like primordials, those mm. types of abilities even there are going to get you so stinking much value. Or, you know, a Muldrifter, <laughs> th things like that. There's, like, there's a lot of uh, cards, you know, any of the Urza's era creatures that untap lands when they come into play. I mean, there's so much value casting a great whale or something, even using this ability. <laughs> Everything is going to do great things. Every creature you put in this deck is going to do fantastic stuff. Every whale's great in that deck. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every whale is great. I, I'm also liking there's one more synergy that I'll point out here because it leads into our next, our final, our number one commander, the most popular one from the set. Another thing that you can do with Around Me is use a Sundial of the Infinite to end the turn before you would have to sacrifice those creatures, which I think is awesome because then you get to keep those tokens. You can exile the sacrifice trigger, which is really, really great. And that's a synergy that it may have in common with the number one commander that we're seeing from this set. Dana, who is the number one commander that we're seeing from Commander Legends so far? The uh, number one commander from Commander Legends is Obeka, Brute Chronologist. Uh, Obeka, Brute Chronologist is one and a uh, blue-black-red for a ogre wizard. And really, really simple basic ability here. You can tap Obeka and a target player whose turn it is may end the turn. See, I, I'm just thinking you're going to put Arami into Obeka. There's also that. Just make it all one deck. <laughs> Sure, sure. And, you know, in theory, you can use that ability to do political things and offer to end the turn to save someone else from being attacked. But really, you're not going to be doing that. You're just going to be casting Final Fortune and taking your extra turn and ending it before the trigger comes on the stack. You're just going to do really uh, cool stuff for yourself, selfishly so. Um, it's a really neat ability that we have seen previously in Sundial of the Infinite, and having that in your command zone opens up a whole lot of cool things. See, Dan, I, I thought at first it was Obeka Root Canalogist, and I was like, eh, that sounds very painful. But then, like, <laughs> seeing some of the cards people are trying to abuse in the deck, you may as well sign up for a Root Canal. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a pretty, like, mean and, like, super... Well, mean, I, I say that, but, like, taking turns... Cool, doing sneak attack. I do love a sneak attack sundial mm -hmm. type of synergy. 
guilty as charged. So maybe root canalogist isn't really the, the most accurate thing because I totally would do some of these things too. Yeah, that's a great synergy there. Sneak attack, putting a creature into play. It would have to be sacrificed at the end of the turn. Nope, my turn is over nope, instead. Ha nope. ha ha, I don't have to do that. You've got your Felden who can do something pretty similar to Aralmi actually, who can like get you a token copy of stuff from the graveyard or whatever. And then you get to keep it if you end the turn by exiling that sacrifice trigger at the end of that turn. There's some really cool stuff here. I think a key for Obeka especially is to make sure that the cards on their own, if Obeka is not in play, are not completely like super unusable like you don't want to have yourself a bunch of cards that you just really can't cast without her um even if they are really good when she's in play you want to make sure that you've got a good mixing of cards that are still good even if you aren't you know getting that sundial ability all of the time but with that said when you see stuff like the around me that's showing up in her list very commonly when you see stuff like felden when you see stuff like sneak attack those are still just really good cards in general so i'm loving everything that this commander is bringing to the table it is almost kind of tied with around me there's like 208 decks for around me and 210 for Rebecca. Rebecca used to be in the lead by kind of a lot, but around me is certainly catching up with it. So we'll definitely want to keep our eye on it to see how those two proceed. They're definitely in the competition for first place. Well, in, you know, one thing that those commanders have in common, the the, the two Arami and Obeka, they're both powerful, but they're both powerful in ways that require you to be interactive with the commander. You mm -hmm. have to respond to things. You have to, you know, exile stuff from your graveyard to bring those commanders back in play. They require you to actually interface with the deck in a way that maybe something like Tulane that just generates you value for showing up doesn't. And I think people like that. People like mm -hmm. obviously want strong commanders, but I think they really are drawn to strong commanders that require them to actually play magic. And these both require you to play magic. I, I love that point, Dana. Yeah, like these are powerful, but they're doing it in such a, a specific way. And I think you can say this about a lot of the, the, le the legendary creatures from this set is Yes, there are obviously very powerful things, but they're not out of hand like Chulain or a Corvold. There's a little more discretion being shown with a lot of these commanders, and I do appreciate that you have to at least either put work into it or it's a little more specific maybe. Just the way that they handle a lot of these legendary creatures, I really appreciate. I think, too, another thing that highlights these particular top five is just how original of designs they feel like to mm -hmm. me. Like, the ending of the turn... That's hysterical. The mana burn, no other commander does that. Even Mardu Enchantress, Enchantress is a pretty well-trod strategy, but in these colors, there's something original going on here. Jared Carthalian, we have another new type of monarch commander that can introduce that capacity to the game. It's not just the Queen Marchesa anymore. You've got a lot going on here, which... I really do appreciate a lot of the designs that come from this set, but at the same time, when you look at AC, Tyrant of Gyra Strait, that one isn't doing anything new necessarily. It'll probably still get plenty of decks to it because it is basically a carbon copy of Tatiova, but it doesn't excite me the way that these very, very original designs do. Mega Tatiova. It's kind of like Mega Morph. It's <laughs> Mega Tatiova this time. But that, that's a really good point, Joey, because like how many times have we done a set review where, you know, there's another goblin commander that might be pretty good, but we wind up saying, well, does it do anything that Krenko doesn't do? And like we've had that conversation three or four times since we've been doing this podcast over some goblin legend. These are all really, really unique commanders that do a thing that nobody else is doing, especially in these particular colors. That's going to make them popular. That's going to make those decks that people want to build. 
All right, folks, those were the most popular solo commanders from Commander Legends. But before we dive into the most popular partners and the most popular cards from Commander Legends, we want to take a brief pause here and challenge some stats. Challenge the stats is one of our favorite segments here on the show because there's a lot of data on EDH track, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are overplayed or underplayed. So we like to challenge those statistics here. Dana, start us off this week. So first, I'll talk about a card, uh, Wild Growth. Wild Growth is at about 18,000 decks in EDH rec. It is a one green mana enchantment aura that can only go on a land, and whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional green. I mentioned it's an 18,000 decks, um, but the card I'm challenging here is Utopia Sprawl, which is also a single green mana enchantment aura. Um, the primary difference here is Utopia Sprawl has to go on a forest. Um, there's another minor difference. It can tap for whatever color you name when you cast it, but that's not really relevant. What is relevant is the forest clause, which makes it much more difficult to run in a three-color deck, definitely, but even in a two-color deck, sometimes it gets tricky. However, in mono-green decks, it's functionally the same as Wild Growth. And um, the three most popular mono-green commanders in EDH Rec the last three years are Garos, Vicious Watcher, Azuri Renegade Leader, and Ayula, Queen of Bears, Queen Among Bears. And all three of those decks, um, Wild Growth is in twice to three times as many decks as Utopia Sprawl. Um, if you are running a mono green commander and if a wild growth is good enough for your deck, Utopia Sprawl is functionally a second copy as far as your deck is concerned. You just have almost all forests. It's going to be as easy to cast as Wild Growth. So if your deck's good enough for Wild Growth, it's good enough for Utopia Sprawl, and it should be in more mono green decks. Like finding those new ways to ramp. Awesome. I'm going to move on to my challenge now. This one is for our beloved preview card, Thalese Reverent Medium. She is the five mana Orzov commander, the three four who says at the beginning of each end step, you create spirit tokens equal to the number of tokens that you already created this turn. So if you make five soldiers, she'll make you five spirits. I love this commander. When I was talking earlier about how powerful some of the uncommon commanders are, I also meant this one. Thalese has really surprised me because I was just like, oh, black, white tokens. This will be fun. I've ended up with 20 bodies on the battlefield because of this ability so, so easily. And it's really, really awesome because then I get to hit people with them or get triggers when they die. And it's great. And Matt, I can hear you rolling your eyes, but I don't <laughs> care. Um, the thing that I want to challenge in the data so far that we have for Thalese though, is that I'm not seeing a bunch of anthems on her page. There's a lot of stuff that you can do aristocratically, sacrificing the tokens for value, getting triggers with like a Zulaport Cutthroat, for example. But another thing that these things are really good at doing is just like attacking your opponents because you get a lot of flying bodies this way. So I recommend cards like Mirror Entity or a personal favorite now, Jazal Goldmane, to help pump up all of those evasive spirits. I've done a lot of damage with just those two. Th they basically read my Thalese deck. When you draw this and you've got a lot of bodies in play, your opponents die because you can spend a lot of mana to make them die and you do your best Matt Morgan impersonation. And they're really great. They don't show up on Thalese's page at all so far. But man, these anthems make those spirits more than just sacrificable bodies. And that's impressive. For me, who loves to sacrifice all those creatures, I'm telling you, you don't need to sacrifice them when they can do this much damage with those anthem effects. Well, don't don't forget the math lesson card with Cathar's Crusade, which is probably the most <laughs> snowball of snowballs that I've ever snowballed in my life. 
it's it's really really good there's a lot of bodies so take advantage of their sheer number for sure okay matt how about you close it off on this week's challenge so this week's challenge is going to be from one of our patrons that was submitted over in our discord you can get access to that patreon.com slash edh if you would want to join in on the fun um but rj the grim one of our patrons threw out this challenge which i actually noticed and then came to this agreement separate or separately um so i'm glad rj that we were on the same page because i also noticed this card needed to get challenged so the card we're going to challenge is going to be in those arami of the dead tide decks uh, and that card is Gravebreaker lamia it is four and a black for a four four enchantment creature snake lamia has lifelink when it enters the battlefield search your library for a card and put it in the graveyard then shuffle your library and also has a static ability of spells you cast from your graveyard cost one less to cast now all those abilities all well and good but rj did point out that encore that you get with arami's ability is an activated ability it is not a cast ability which means gravebreaker lamia does not actually reduce the cost of those encore abilities sure it's a good entomb card but it's at the same time if all you're trying to do is get an entomb type of effect just run the actual card, run Buried Alive, get those cards into your graveyard that are actually going to synergize. Since Gravebreaker Lamia doesn't actually reduce the cost of those Encore abilities, probably may not be worth the slot if that's all you're running it for. If you're trying to get a creature, just to have a body out there that entombs something, that's all well and good. But if you're trying to do the cost reduction, Chances are that's not what you're wanting to do. Gravebreaker Lamy has played in 38% of around me decks so far. That number is too high if you're depending on that cost reduction. Sick deal. All right, guys, let's get into the next part of our show by returning back to those commander legends, not the solo commanders, in this case, the partners. And this is a little bit difficult to suss out, but what we're interested in here is definitely the popularity of the, the the most prolific partners is I guess how I would want to say it. The ones that are pairing up a whole, whole lot. Not the specific pairings necessarily, but just the commanders that are going around partnering with a whole bunch of different other partner commanders. Nana, how about you take us to it? We'll go through the top three of these since there are so many of them. Who do we got going on at the number three most prolific or popular partner? Number three is Kadama of the East Tree, uh, four green green, six mana total, for a 6-6 six, six spirit with reach. And the relevant text here, aside from it also having partner, is whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, if it wasn't put onto the battlefield with this ability, you may put a permanent card with equal or lesser converted mana cost from your hand out of the battlefield. So if you... Uh, play a thing, you can use Kadama to play another permanent for no mana. That's really, 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 really good. It's ludicrous. And, and it's, it's so good. It's good with any partner. Like, it doesn't care who the partner is. It's still going to generate you value. Yeah, Kadama's doing some sick value for sure. There are 145 total uh, partner decks that are using Kodama as one half of the pair. The most popular pairings are uh, none of them necessarily overwhelming the others, though. Uh, the most popular one that it goes with so far is Togo Goblin Weaponsmith. There are 33 total decks where Kodama and Togo have teamed up together, and Togo is the one that has the landfall ability that makes you those rock artifacts that you can equip to smash other 
people. This deck, I believe, was famously played by Josh Lequai in that Game Nights episode, which was a whole bunch of fun to watch for sure. That's really neat synergy where when the artifact comes into play, then Kodama would be able to trigger and potentially put a land onto the battlefield, which would then give you another rock. So that's actually some pretty nasty stuff that you can pull off there. But 33 decks for them together. But then we're also seeing Sakashima of a Thousand Faces is showing up as the next most popular pair up for Kodama with 27 decks together. And that's the one that can clone one of your creatures and eliminates your uh, legend rule restriction. So you can have as many legendary copies of things that you want too. So some good gruel goodness and some good Simic goodness are showing up for Kodama so far as the most popular pairing ups. So with Sakashima, you can you can put your thing into play and get two free things <laughs> then afterwards, which seems like it's twice as good as getting one free thing. Two is better than one. It's yes, almost indeed. like Simic and green and stuff love to just double up on everything that they're already good at. I mean, their, their most powerful ability is being able to clone everything else that all the other colors are doing. So it only makes sense <laughs> that Sakashima just flavorfully fits in with this green partner. A lot of good Kamigawa noises going on here, I think, for sure. Matt, take us to our number two most popular or prolific partner pair up. That's a lot of alliteration. <laughs> Let's just get on to the number two. The partner, partner pal that we're going to talk about. Number two most popular partner is going to be Rograk. Son of Roga. So that is the kobold warrior, zero mana, absolutely free, but still red somehow. Zero <laughs> one with first strike, menace, and trample. Uh, so far, we're seeing 284 decks that are using Rograk as one of the partners. And the partners that it's getting paired up with are kind of interesting. Uh, Arden, intrepid archaeologist, is being paired at 98 decks, which... That's kind of interesting. Silas Run, Seeker Adept, one of the original partners, making a Grixis artifacty type of something deck, um, also being played in 37 decks together. This partner pairing is all over the place, and I kind of love it, actually. Um, you know, you have a couple of partner pairs that seem to work well with equipment, so you can buff up this commander to swing in. You have Keleth, which is going to put a counter on your commander when it attacks or when Rockwrath excuse me, I said his name right, Rograk, <laughs> Rugrat, Rugrat attacks. When the Rugrat <laughs> attacks, um, also going to get a counter. So you, you're looking at a multiple partners here that are going to synergize with um, with, with Rugrat in, in making him actually <laughs> a, a force unto himself. I, I, I don't know that I'll ever be able to get over Rugrat. Um, that's no. hilarious, Dana. <laughs> I, I also, though, I, I know that he's, I, I'm actually fairly certain that he's an uncommon, uh, which would give him better availability so that he could be, he has that opportunity to be in more players' hands and therefore for it to be built more. But I just did not see this being number two, like in any world compared to the, we've got Tevish Zot in this, we've got Jessica Thrice Reborn and then we've got Planeswalker partners going on here. We've got these crazy mythics. And here's this little kobold who's just like, I am the master partner who goes with me. I'm the number two most popular partner from the set. And I'm a little uncommon to zero one. I'm floored. I don't understand it. It's amazing. I think this is like part of that just flavor hilariousness, why people are, are attracted to Rugrat so much. I'm never going to be able to get over Rugrat either. <laughs> no. Yeah, Rugrat, son of Rugdad. <laughs> I think that's the, the the official name will be that now. It is now. It is now. Um, yeah. But it's it's just, yeah. It's just it's so funny. It's kind of like why people were so attached to seeing Lutri for the first time. Like it's it's an otter. Like how can you get over that? It's the same thing with <laughs> with Rugrat. 
Well, in, in obviously there's there's some meme value here. People tend to mm-hmm. like that, but you know it's a pretty effective commander on its own if you have a way to buff it up, mm-hmm. and it's not a bad partner to have if you have a commander that like cares about sacrificing stuff too, because it's a free creature that you can cast to sacrifice to your commander, like the new Baron Sanger that cares about sacrificing stuff as well. So not only is it good on its own, I feel like it's the kind of partner that's going to just incidentally get paired up with a whole bunch of different things because yeah, why not? It's always going to be useful. I, I suppose, but I'm just, I'm still like, what? Like the partners are so crazy. Like I, but I mean, folks are loving it and I, I cannot argue with the numbers. I just absolutely can't. Um, I am going to have us move on now to our number one. And this was actually a very recent development that this one finally became the number one because uh, a little while ago when I was originally pulling up data, Rugrat was in fact the number one, but it has been barely eclipsed out now by the actual number one partner, Sakashima of a Thousand Faces, who I just, I absolutely adore this one. This is the clone that we mentioned earlier. Three and a blue for a human rogue that can enter the battlefield as a copy of another creature that you control. So it can't be any creature on the battlefield, just your own. But it also has its other abilities, that other ability, of course, being partner, and that the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control. So you can have multiple copies of legendary creatures or legendary permanents in play. That is a delicious ability. I have, in fact, built around Sakashima myself. I paired it up with Elegith, the Scrying Sphinx. It is a delight to be able to smash these two on our Twitch stream every week with these amazing Scrying Sphinx. And then I get another copy of it. And it's just like, oh, it's so many clones. It's great. There are 288 total partner pairings with Sakashima so far. And Matt, take us through the pairings. Are these the commanders that you would have expected Sakashima to show up so popularly with? I'm not really sure what I expected Sakashima to get paired up with. Um, But so far, you're seeing Krark the Thumbless, the unopposable, if you will, uh, 78 (laughs) decks using Krark and Sakashima together. Uh, Vile Smasher, actually, for one of the original partners. That one doesn't surprise me. Uh, You're seeing 57 decks using Sakashima and Vile Smasher. Basically, you get two of those whenever you cast the first spell each turn. You deal damage that Vile Smasher has. You get twice the abilities going on with Sakashima around. So that one isn't really too surprising to see. But we're also seeing Timna because... People got to play Esper, I guess. Uh, 39 decks with the original Timna partner going together with Sakashima. I love that Matt just can't compute people playing Esper. That's very funny. I can't. I mean, it's blue. There's so much blue. There's so much blue. Uh, here's the thing. I This is more what I expected the other partner pairings to kind of appear as. Like, they would team up with a lot of the old ones because of how sheerly powerful that they can be. But mm-hmm. instead, we actually saw quite a lot of uh, you know partner pairing ups with other commanders from the same set. Like, Rograk was pairing with Arden very popularly, for example. Kodama was pairing up with Togo most popularly. So it was really a lot of the new partners were sticking with each other. Sakashima is definitely breaking that mold by pairing up with some of those absolutely broken partner commanders that we got from the 2016 set all those years ago. Well, Sakashima feels to me most like one of the original 15 partner commanders. One of the things about those that that I personally didn't love was they tended to do kind of generically useful things that didn't really encourage you to build a deck so much as it encouraged you to take a bunch of lines of play and then run the commander that generated value while you were trying to find those lines of play. Mm. Sakashima kind of does a similar thing where like whatever deck you're playing, if your commander has an ability, Sakashima lets you run blue and have a second copy of that useful thing. Um, 
and it's not not to say it doesn't also work well like in your deck that you built, for example, Joey, because um, there's plenty of cool things you can also do with it. It's not restricted to just being a value engine, but it also works just as a value engine to copy the Timna ability, for example, or the Vile Smasher ability that are already good, useful abilities in almost any deck. Now you've got two copies of it. Yeah, that's that's certainly true as well. But man, I just when you got a thousand faces and you start to shout, it's really <laughs> loud. It's great. That that was a poor attempt, Joseph. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> oh come on. We we can move on though. We, we'll give you some more tries. <laughs> All right, fine. But no, I, I think that largely what I'm trying to get at here is this: that the data does support that these commanders aren't you know doing too much of the same broken stuff quite to the extent that we saw from the previous ones. And I'm also just going to again register my surprise that stuff like Rugrat is the one that's <laughs> showing up the right. most popularly compared to some of the other ones that had a lot of people a lot more concerned, like those new partner planeswalkers, for example. They're not showing up as popularly as these three. And that's just, you know, kind of, it, it really surprised me. And I think it also really hardened me as well. But you're right. We probably should move on. Let's move now to the cards in the set. Is that what you'd like to talk about? I, I suppose we can. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So those were the legends so far that we've covered. But now let's get into some of the most popular cards from the commander set overall. Those things that go into the 99 make up the whole deck. Matt, I suppose, do you want to start us off with the cycle of cards that we're seeing most popularly from the set? And that, again, I'm just going to be gushing a whole lot about. I'm so glad that the cycle is finished. We do have a cycle here. We have the Battle Bond lands. They are back and we completed the cycle. Like you said, Joey. Training Center is the most played of these lands so far. That is the Is It one. And I should, let's just go over what these lands do. So they enter the battlefield tapped unless you have two or more opponents, which basically means if you play these at almost any given time, you're going to get an untapped land that taps for two colors. Uh, Training Center taps for a red and a blue, for example. Seeing playing over 643 decks so far, and that number sure is to skyrocket once people start getting these open from their packs, getting them in the mail from TCG Player or Card Kingdom. But yeah, these lands, it's, it's just awesome to see this cycle get finished. It's something that was very successful from the first time we saw them back in Battle Bond. I'm glad they're around. What do you guys think? Oh my God, I love these. Each of them is showing up in like a minimum of 40% of the eligible decks that have been built since these cards were released. The Is It One, like you said, is the most popular, but even the Boros one is also still like 40% is huge. And I would, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, yay. They're good. That's all I yeah. got left. It's just yay. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're great. Any two color deck, I'd run them. A lot of three color decks. They're fantastic and they're relatively inexpensive. Um, Compared to some things for anyway. Now. So for now. For now. For now. Yeah. Uh, but they're, yeah run them they're they're be good so all right so that's a pretty easy cycle that ah we're delighted by um the next most popular cards though that we're going to talk about the ones that are seeing the highest rate of adoption in index um i'm personally less excited about this next one contentious is dana, the word i would use joey dana do you want to do you want to tell us about the um one of the most popular cards that we're seeing here in the uh hole preacher a, uh, yeah. a merfolk pirate um, so it's contentious because Joey likes neither merfolk nor pirates. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. Yes, that's, that's correct. That's the entire problem here. Um, I guess it has flash and you don't like flash either. Um, <laughs> and, and it's a three, two and you don't like the, the, the non-symmetrical power and toughness. Absolutely. Um, that's my, so that's average really, here. that's, I guess there's one more thing on here. If an opponent <laughs> would draw a card, except for the first one they draw on each of their turns, instead you create a treasure token. So... Um, yeah, you just don't get to draw extra cards and your opponent makes treasures. 
I, I, I don't, I don't, why? This is the first time we talked about this card and everyone's already had their gripes about, about, about this design, I'm sure. But th this is when I have my chance to gripe and I'm, I'm going gripe. I'm going D Dana, I think we found the part of the card that Joey doesn't like. That, that's what it is. Okay. The rest <laughs> I think of the stuff we hit is that cool. Sweet spot. All right. Good to know. Why does Wizards of the Coast think that preventing your opponents from drawing cards is still an interesting and fun design space to continue to explore? It works really it. well with Leofold. And <laughs> that, everyone right. likes mono blue Narset, so... Yeah, the, the new Narset also, yeah. That's just it. Like, they designed Leofold in a set that also had the Monarch mechanic because in that limited environment, it was interesting to give those colors, which have less access to get the Monarchy through combat, ways to prevent the advantage of the Monarchy. And they did the exact same thing here, repeating that same mistake. Leofold got banned in this format, and they were just like, oh, it'll probably be fine if we, you know, change it. It's not in the command zone. It's cool. And like, sure, fine, whatever. I'm not saying that this card needs to be banned. I'm just saying that it's the exact same type of design philosophy that led to Leofold, which no one enjoyed that. Everyone disliked that. And then the whole breacher is just like, me too. I'll repeat the same design. Maze. I just don't. Why did y'all think that this was, this was cool? Anyway, where is it showing up? What decks are playing it? This card's great. <laughs> Well, the, the, I don't know if this card is great, but it, it's it's powerful. We can definitely say that it is, a, it is a very, very powerful magic card. And if you look at the average decks that it's being shown there, um, you're seeing a lot of high-end, high-powered decks playing these, you know, this whole Breacher, new flashy pirate, merfolk, critter. Um, Thrasios and Timna, Urza... Eureka, all of those decks that we've seen built so far or updated since Whole Breacher has come out, are they're all playing the Whole Breacher card. Um, it's just a very, very powerful card in those high-end decks, those competitive circles. And so if you are playing those, those high-power decks, then this is a perfect card for that. Um, but also, thankfully, there are some tribal synergies there. Um, we did say it's a merfolk. We did say it's a pirate. Thankfully, you can build tribes with both of those creature types. Uh, we're seeing a lot of Kumana decks that are adopting Whole Breacher at a, a significant percentage. And also pretty much every pirate deck that we've seen built also is trying to find a spot for Whole Breacher. So thankfully, we do have some slots that aren't just all trying to make things not fun. Well, see, Matt, you say that, and then and then the wheel decks happen. Like the next <laughs> I most stand popular corrected, then. type. Uh, so I, I like wheels a lot as a strategy. It's really great. You've got those windfall effects that make everyone discard and then draw a whole bunch of new cards, and there are tons of commanders that are designed around that strategy. You've got your Nikasar decks. You've got your Brawlin and Shabraz decks, which give you a bunch of different advantages if uh, you know opponents draw extra cards or if you discard cards. There are a whole bunch of those. You got a bunch of those. And Nikas uh, and, and excuse me, Holbreacher is also showing up in a bunch of those decks too, at like near 100% inclusion rates because it just synergizes so well with playing one of those wheel effects. Your opponents won't draw extra cards, but Nikasar don't care. He doesn't need to cause pain. You'll get so much treasure that it doesn't matter, and also your opponents don't have a hand anymore. So, like, that's worth it. Yeah. The downside of wheels is always, you know, the chaos that ensues where you're giving your opponents, you know, 21 new cards to possibly solve whatever problem you're creating well the way around that is instead of giving them 21 new cards you give them no new cards and you get a whole <laughs> bunch of treasure so i guess that's a pretty solid workaround as far as workarounds go i man yeah. i just i I probably can't continue to be too much more bitter. I'm sure that that's properly phrased, yeah. but look, it, it, I don't know. In the advertisements for Commander Legends, one of the uh, you know ads, one of the 
the, the sales pitches basically was powerful white cards. What they forgot to say was more powerful cards in other colors. And that just <laughs> is kind of gives me the frowny faces. I so, mean, it's all right. still true. It's, there are powerful it, white cards. It's just there's more powerful blue cards and and black cards, apparently, as we're looking at the next one here in our list. I mean, I mean, thankfully, uh, yes. though, about a lot of these cards that we're going to talk about here, though, the the people and the play groups that are going to be playing these types of cards, I, I they're they're going to have those agreements in place already where they sure. understand what's going to be played going into that. The majority of play groups, the majority of commander players, this just these cards aren't really what they're looking for. So thankfully they won't really be seeing them in their games a whole lot. Maybe they open one in a pack and they have that that card. But the typical commander player isn't really looking for these, so I think that might hurt their adoption rates a little bit because, man, this is not the type of gameplay they're looking for. Yeah, this is definitely a socially governed format, and yes. that can definitely inform a lot of the popularity that we're seeing. With that said, Whole Breach is showing up in nearly 50% of decks that can include it so far, so that is insane, um, and I, I, I am... I'm so ready. I'm so ready to destroy this thing. I can't wait to destroy this thing in response to a wheel. All right. Um, Dana, you mentioned that there was a black card that we got to get to. What is the next one that we're seeing that is most popularly included among decks that have been built since Commander Legends was released? The next one here is Opposition Agent. Uh, Opposition Agent kind of does a similar thing here. Um, also has Flash, also a 3-2, also a 3 mana. Um, you control your opponents while they're searching their libraries. So that seems pretty good to have their tutor suddenly become your tutor. Mm. Um, and while opponents are searching their library, uh, they exile the card they find, and you may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled and spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast them. So hey, thank you for tutoring for me. Very, very much. This may surprise folks, given the tirade that I just had. Apologies to everyone for that. I actually kind of adore Opposition Agent. I think it is probably a little bit too cheap at three mana, but I don't mind this type of design personally, because I think it can be very punishing towards the type of things that people aren't necessarily going to do. Like everyone's drawing extra cards, but not everyone is always tutoring. Mm -hmm. Whatever. My feelings on it don't matter nearly as much as where we're seeing it show up. There is, of course, the combo that it has with Maryland or the Mornsong, which forces all of your opponents to tutor. So therefore you can take control of their tutoring and that's quite the lock so about 10 maryland decks have been built since the set came out and all of them are using this opposition agent to get that locked down aside from that though you've got a lot of competitive adoption for this card too you've got your thrasios and timna you've got your eureko you've got your kenrith decks you've got your gitrog decks you've got your najila decks so it's a lot of rate of adoption especially among the competitive part of the format for sure well and like you said joey I don't mind this card as much as Hole Breacher because it's punishing people for, for doing specific things. It's not just stopping them altogether from, from doing those things. So I would much rather punish people for doing things than stop them from playing, which is why I think Opposition Agent is a little more likely to show up in, in my games, at least, as opposed to Hole Breacher. It reminds me of a Blood Moon, kind of. Like, when I get hit by a Blood Moon, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's on me. I have a lot of non-basics. If I get hit too much by an opposition agent, it's probably like, yeah, I might be running a few too many tutors. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I think of it as a Blood or Moon. You, or you just never tutor, too. Like, if, if you never play any tutors or fetch lands or anything like that, then opposition agent really doesn't do anything to you. Yeah, I mean, like occasionally it's going to shut down an evolving wilds or something, but like by and large, it's going to punish decks and punish cards 
that kind of deserve to be punished, that the demonic tutor kind of <laughs> deserves it. Whereas I feel like, man, that feels really bad to be holding a ponder in your hand and in having a hope reacher come down. I feel like I don't deserve to get punished for a ponder, but demonic tutor, vamp tutor or something. Yeah, you have that coming. Yeah, the, the, the higher power decks, like they're, they're also more likely to be built to deal with this type of a of, sure, of right. creature too. So if you're at the lower power levels and you see a whole breacher, chances are you're not really, your, your deck isn't built to handle that type of a threat. Whereas if you're playing those higher power levels, like a lot of the folks are, they're already equipped to do that. Well, an opposition agent doesn't, doesn't have that accidental merfolk or pirate synergy where it's just going to show mm -hmm. up in decks for those reasons mm -hmm. and then cause chaos as well. Yeah, opposition agent for me at least is the kind of card I'm just like, I think I can definitely find a place for it. 40% of people so far are, and that's actually a very impressive rate of adoption for sure. But Hole Breacher is the kind of card that I'm just like, man, I really could put this anywhere. This thing's insane, and I... I'm going to distance myself from that as soon as I can. It's been a while since you've heard of Joey Tyrade, but here there was one. Um, now let's move on to another card that is uh, also very popular. This will probably be, end up being the final one that we talk about here. The next most popular card that we're seeing show up in decks since Commander Legends has released is, of course, the famous Jeweled Lotus, the zero mana artifact that gives you three mana, but only mana that can be used to cast your commander. Showing up in about 16% of all decks that have been built since this set came out. That's about 600 and, uh, excuse me, 765 decks so far for Jeweled Lotus. Pretty popular. What are the commanders that are showing it most often? Well, I mean, it'll probably will be banned by the time the show airs. So, um, <laughs> you know, no reason to go any further. No, it's it's in 100% of Urza decks, 100% of Joyer Weatherlight Captain decks, and 100% of Duretti decks. Well, and one thing those commanders all have in common, um, in addition to being at a low CMC, so Jeweled Lotus can cast them quickly and, and easily, and they're also fairly aggressive decks, but they're artifact-based commanders who, even if you don't need the Jeweled Lotus to cast your commander at you know turn seven or something, it's still generating value for you just by being on the board. Yeah, I mean, Urza turns this into a, a Sky Diamond, basically. You can tap it for yeah. a blue mana. Uh, Joyra Weatherlight Captain, you can draw a card off of it, which is what we see in the Joyra Weatherlight Captain decks when you look at the average deck. It's all about those zero mana, draw a card, you know, get all your bonuses. Um, but there's a lot of decks, actually, that are built to kind of abuse it, too. Like, it's showing up in 39% of Moldrotha decks so far, and that deck is all about recurring all the value. Now, granted, like, you're probably just going to have it sit around because Moldrotha is already on the battlefield, but you still have a, a dark ritual on board, basically, which that's still a decently powerful effect. Um, one thing that we are seeing, too, is Kozilek, uh, the, the, the mm -hmm. big colorless beaters. They're also liking some sort of ritual effect, and then Corvold decks too. It's a little surprising to see Corvold not playing this as much. Um, only 24% of Corvold decks are, are playing Jeweled Lotus so far. Um, I, Joey, I know you probably have some thoughts. What do you think on, on this Corvold adoption rate? That does strike me as low, but a huge thing that I think we have to keep in mind here is just that this was a very, uh, the price fluctuated a lot. Let's put mm -hmm. it that way for this card. It has been crazy. So if you're seeing low rates of adoption, I think that that can be a sign both of potentially power, but also of potentially availability. This is a very availability restricted card. With that said, like 
I totally like am on board with the artifact synergies, for example, with those Joyride. Like that's a perfect place for a card like this. But this deck, th- this doesn't go everywhere. It it really just shouldn't. I love using it, uh, you know, cards like Kozilek, for example, to help you power out those crazy expensive commanders. That's a great place for it because they probably need the extra help. The things where you've got artifact or graveyard synergies to be able to loop this, that's really, really cool. But this doesn't just go everywhere. So even if it is a very expensive card, you don't necessarily need it. This is an interesting design. I'm kind of with Patrick Chapin on this. I think that whoever designed this one's a genius, especially because of all of the discussion that it's created. Um, and the rate of adoption here is just kind of fascinating to see while also still being tempered with the reality of this card's price tag. Yeah, I, I think the price is the biggest thing. Like it was pre-ordering at $150, I want to say. It was yeah. a little insane. Now, the price has gone down since the set's actually out, but I mean, $150 is pretty hard to swallow for a majority of players yeah i mean that this one is going to be tricky um just price alone is just going to cause so many issues with with people running this in decks um and it's going to cause a lot of kind of bias too in terms of you know people that play competitively tend to be much more willing to fork out the money for this so that also is going to is going to skew our stats towards more competitive decks that are just going to be running it not only because it's you know kind of a competitive card but they tend to be the ones more likely to pay that money for the to get that little extra edge versus a casual player who while it might be a good card in their deck tend to be much less likely to spend this kind of money. All right, fellas. So we just went through a bunch of info about Commander Legends. So now I want to ask, what are your thoughts about the set as a whole? Are these the commanders that you expected at the top? Are these the cards you thought would be the most popular? Do you think that the data could shift around? Dana, let's go with you first. How are you feeling about Commander Legends? Um, I like it a lot. Um, I'm somebody who has very vocally mentioned in the past, I'm not a big fan of the original 15 partners. Um, a lot of the things I don't like about them have, were circumvented by partners with, and I think the same thing has happened here. A lot of the things I don't like about the original 15 were avoided with all the partners or almost all the partners this time. They are much more interesting and they encourage a specific deck versus encourage a, um, you know, handful of, of, of win condition lines of play. Um, for me, that is way more interesting at least. And I think They've completely turned me around on partners. I like the vast majority of them. They're really interesting. And in addition to that, there's just a bunch of really good, useful utility cards that have shown up in a bunch of my decks. The set is an absolute home run. I am a huge fan. Uh, I like almost everything about it. All right. Yeah. I mean, glowing endorsement if they can make a curmudgeon like you turn around on that (laughs) mechanic for sure. I I am also like, I I honestly feel that some of the most interesting cards from the set are the ones that we didn't even mention. Like the ones that aren't showing a high rate of popularity. And I hope just yet that it is the case that these aren't showing just yet. Like Acroma's Will is actually very, very interesting. The, uh, oh my God, the red cards in the set actually have me, like I adore them. I actually got to see someone use the Hellkite Courser to summon an Ur-Dragon into play, drop a free Terror of Mount Velus with a Crucible of Fire in play, and then auto commander damage in one surprise swing because the Hellkite Courser could drop a free commander into play with its ability. Like some of the red cards from the set especially have me excited. So there's plenty of designs here that just aren't showing up as very popular popular 
hopefully yet, but they are still very fascinating. And I really adore most of those designs for sure. I, I think the yet is relevant. Um, and I think the, the the point I brought up about Jeweled Lotus kind of applies to a lot of this stuff. It's just so new that even though we have some data, we're primarily getting data from people that are much more focused on keeping their deck as tight as possible, um, mm. particularly just because that's just how it works. Like people that play competitively or at least are really in tune with the game are the ones that are making quick changes. And I think we're just seeing that with things like Opposition Agents popularity and Hellbreacher and Sakashima, that's just a really, really powerful commander. We're just seeing a lot of that here where I think the data is kind of being warped a little bit because early adopters tend to be people that are looking for those edges. And I, I'd imagine as the weeks and months pass, that will smooth out and we'll see more of those Jessica's Will and War Room type cards show up in some of these lists. Yeah, just the fact that people really haven't had a whole lot of a chance to open packs yet, I think that has a huge influence on the type of data, not the amount, but the, the, the yep. certain specific cards that we're seeing, like you hinted at, Dana. Um, I really think that the data, especially like the top cards, that might start shifting over the coming weeks and months. And I'm excited to see kind of what rises to the crop because there are a lot of just very unique cards. There's a lot of powerful cards. And the, I think the thing that I appreciate the most about Commander Legends is there aren't a ton of cards that you absolutely have to be playing. Like you, they just power creep something out of the format. There's Yes, there are whole breachers. There are opposition agents. But there's only a couple of those. But the rest of it, it's either a really cool reprint like Three Visits or there's new and, and weird cards that are doing something that we haven't seen before. And that's what I am the most excited about with Commander Legends. It's not about the incremental advantages that I'm going to get from putting any given card in my deck. It's about what they're doing new that we haven't seen before. That's what I think the most people are excited about is just seeing what can we be doing in the Commander format that we haven't done before and then exploring that space. I think Rograk the Rugrat, that's, that's, <laughs> that's such a silly and fun thing to see. So it's nice that, yes, we're getting these things that are going to change the format, but we're also not forgetting, like, this is such, it's still a game and we get to have fun with it. And Rugrat is just, it, there's a lot of fun designs in this set as well. Yeah, I, there are some head scratcher designs for me still. Like, they oh, made yeah. Arkelos and Quain the, you know, it's a tortoise and a hare. We get the joke. Like, one's all about <laughs> being slow and steady. The other one's all about speed. And for some unknown reason, the one that's all about speed doesn't contain red in its mana cost. It is, in fact, the two slowest colors in the game. And I'm just like, all right, that's kind of a head-scratcher. But also, the new Sakashima deck that I built with Elegith, I got to copy someone's Gisela the other day with the Phyrexian Metamorph and then copy it with my Sakashima and then copy it with my Mirage Mirror and then copy that with my Clever Impersonator. So there were a total of, like, by the end of it, five Gisela's on board. And man, if that didn't activate some absolute feelings. And that's all because of cards from this new set. And that does give me, the, that gives me the happy. I mean, a, a good sneeze would have knocked a player out of the game. Good <laughs> lord. <laughs> Indeed. And really, this is just some initial stuff. But as you guys said, it'll be really fascinating to see where all of this data develops. And we look forward to seeing all of those numbers come in in the future. With that, though, I think what we got to do is call this episode to a close. So, fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And if you would like to see us playing any of these new cards from Commander Legends, twitch.tv slash EDH on Wednesday evenings is where you can catch all of the new card action. 
And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter words at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find all three of us at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRecast on both Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast. And our thanks to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDHREC. Wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>